check. I just sat in the middle of the back. I didn't want to take from anybody still coming in. Love, loving your enemies continued. We started that last week. 
um, and we added to it this week, uh, the rest of the other half of what he had to say about this topic. And uh, we'll hear kind of implicit in the text some things about uh, conflict, res conflict resolution, and we'll hear about common grace, we'll hear about heavenly rewards, and mercy. And next week we'll hear about responsibility of repentance and, and, and more and more. Uh, so the context of this, last week, uh, I spent most of our time just opening it up, and I think we got to one verse. So if you, uh, so if you're, um, if you want the other half of it, I, I did make a separate video, and it's online uh, right after. It's it's continued of last week, further in the Beatitudes, um, that you can that you can look at um, if you want more of what we didn't get to get to and hear uh, in a fuller sense last week. Uh, and we talked about. Like the context of this, as we get into it, this is, uh, Jesus says in Luke 22, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers treated badly. Did the prop did, uh, did to the prophets, and the context is 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 when we're hated on account of Jesus, um, those who have the mindset of the, which what the beatitudes accomplish, like this is the mindset of a Christian. This is how we see. This is how we think. Um, uh, we follow him, and his enemies, in when we follow him, kind of become ours in a way. Um, his enemies become ours, his, but his love, um, he loved his enemies, and that his love becomes ours as well, um, we could say. And he's not talking about people who wrong us due to wrongdoings, um, due to our wronging them, but those against us because of him. Like, think John the Baptist here and the apostles and the martyrs of the faith, how they were treated because of their, uh, because of their proclamation of the faith and their adherence uh, to Jesus. And just to recap, uh, last week we left off in, uh, in the middle of this section with the golden rule. And I love what Leonard said about the golden rule this morning. Um, then we also learned uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior and how that's one thing, not two things. Uh, Christ teaches us how to love our enemies by his life, death, and uh, by his life and death, and commands us to do the same uh, with his life in us, which is our new life. Um, and he gives us the ability to do it after modeling it perfectly. Um, and now we can, those who we might consider an enemy before, we're actually seeking for their blessing, betterment, and uh, maybe for their advantage um, and resolution and relationship that could be. Um, as we transfer us uh, from domain to domain. In the big picture, our relationship with Jesus should directly affect our relationship with others. And... We always hear this at weddings. It's not for weddings, but weddings are a good place to hear it. So um, this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of good to establish what love is, and we'll establish what an enemy is too. Um, but for, for this kind of enemy love that we're going to be talking about, I think it's important to put this uh, in our thinking. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, 
and nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, die as a martyr. But have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not ignorant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We see this kind of love personified in Christ on the cross, on the way to the cross, and after the cross, and now as he endures with his people. Love never ends. So, with that in mind, verse 32. If you love those who love you, he asks, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount. So as Leonard mentioned today, uh, there's a transactional love. Leonard and I were talking about this text a few weeks ago, and he labeled it as transactional love, like that zeroes out accounts. And that kind of just like, I wish I heard that before I ever read the Bible, because that made this make so much sense. Um, we love each other, kind of equaling out the balance. Like you, uh, are, and we tend to naturally. Um, you bought dinner this time, I'm going to buy it next time. We zero out accounts, and you gave a gift, and now I have to give you a gift, kind of thing. Um, this is how we tend to operate with each other. Negatively, like an eye for an eye, and we we might seek revenge for a wrong that we've received. Right for a right. Right for yeah. Right. Yes, uh, in a positive sense, like a burger for a burger and gifts and things like that. Um, but we'll learn here that there's, our love is to be different if we're in Christ. Um, he says like that even sinners love like this. It's like, I'll give, but there's a dot, dot, dot. When we give, there's a period. End of story. Nothing left to do. It's in the past. The transaction is over doesn't continue, I'm not, you're not adding anything back to me. Uh, so in a way, in, in, in many situations, we don't lend, we give. Um, Rich, but, yeah. One, I guess a, a powerful statement for our thing would be um, for the news and so forth, you know, how Christians get a bad rap all the time, the kind of their fanatical crazy people. But I think it's a really good example was that when the church, the yeah. church in the south, and that they were trying to reach out to the the boy or young fella came in and shot them all. Yeah, yeah. And how they were interviewed, different ones were interviewed, mm -hmm. and how they were crying and saying how their loved one got shot, and their you know fellow one got yeah. shot, and how they sat there and said that they all forgave him. I mean, that was, I, th I think that was a big moment for Christians and for churches. It, it's a good thing when the world can, when, uh, when we let our light shine. Yeah. Let, what, who is Christ? When we let
let him when, when he comes out of us and thinks like that where forgiveness is impossible outside of relationship with Christ hey, Joe? Rich, uh, I think we as Christians and I, I, I always had a problem with it but a lot of people say even Christians I'm not a doormat we've all heard that mm-hmm. can you explain that a little bit if what we mean by that I mean for a Christian to say to himself I'm not a doormat Christ was a doormat. Um, or, I mean, uh, Christ was the doormat that, that cleans all our shoes that we wipe them off on. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can, I, can, I, can, I can speak to that a little yeah. bit. Does that give um, an yeah, to, yeah. When to cry out the, there, there are qualifications to this, I believe. And one of them is when you're in an abusive relationship and somebody's abusing you all the time, I don't think Jesus would say, you need to stay in there and be a doormat. I think he would say, you need to get out from underneath the influence of that so you can heal. Um, What Jesus is talking about is, I think, a person in a healthy place responding in the way that he would respond when the conditions are transactional. I, I think the qualifications are when people are getting hurt. Um, and and so I, I qualify. I mean that's my my thinking. I qualify it. I don't. I wouldn't tell a wife who came into my office who's been beaten by her husband for years. You need to stay there and and take it. When the love that you give is not responded to, then there, there probably needs to be some distance created. It's a different. Yeah. Di- it's a different dynamic. A different response under those conditions. Yeah, I mean the qualifications are, are minimal, but that's one of them. Yeah, when children are being abused, would I say, uh, I know you come to youth group and your parents are beating you, uh, you need to just take it. Yeah, you know, there that's where kind of wisdom comes in, because it's really beyond the bounds of what normally happens. I mean, don't get me wrong, um, they're they're for mature, healthy believers. There is abuse that will happen to you in the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at times you have to just say, I'm going to love you. Because mm-hmm. this is happening in the name of Christ. But when you're in other relational dynamics where they're abusing you, has nothing to do with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I would say you need to probably think about where you're at in that space. Mm-hmm. And the effect it's having on you. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a loving God saying, you better stay there and love them when you don't have the capacity to do it. All you're doing is curled up in a fetal position trying to survive. Um, so that, that's why I would say there's a judgment call. And, and that's how I would, I would um, encourage people pastorally. Uh, most of the time, though, if you're healthy, you do it in the name of Jesus, you're strengthened by a community, then work on changing that person. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's my that's my my view, and it, it may differ from Richard's, but that that's kind of where I'm at with that. And most of the time, I think it, what happens in most of the, what we're talking about, it it's a sin of what those group of people are committing on you. Mm-hmm. So what it's saying is. You're no better than that person if you're sending back the same sin. Yeah. 
but it doesn't mean we can't handle things a certain way. We're just not going to do the same thing they're doing. Yeah. I mean, like you're saying, doesn't mean we can't. We have to stand there and that, or do the same thing, the sin they're committing against us. We have to take a different approach more lovingly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. A different approach more loving. Yeah. And and that's where you gotta have wisdom. Because I, I wouldn't say to a person, yeah, just continue being a doormat, but I would say you still need to love that person, but you need to get yourself in a space where you can you can even begin to start doing that. Right. Yeah. I, we're never called to forego or withhold our love. Um, but we can remove ourselves when that love isn't being responded to and it's dangerous and in every situation. He gave example of an abusive marriage or abusive uh, household uh, is relative, and other means might be useful to step in. And then there's the whole question of forgiveness afterwards. And yeah. The and conversation goes a little further. And, than and reconciliation, if I could just say, reconciliation isn't oh I forgive you and now we're friends. No, it's it's naming the things that caused the problem in the relationship bring it to the surface, mm -hmm. and then coming together under Christ's Lordship and owning what you need to own so that you can, can so you can move into another space in the relationship. Yeah. You know. So I'm just I'm always careful to qualify that on these, you know, the problem with teaching this text, Rich, is you, you take one word and we'll just spend an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This is real this one slows you down a little. Yeah, and it should. It's good. This, this is really good. There's so much in here that yeah. And every week, if you if you haven't learned by now, every <laughs> every week you, you can read the text in a minute, um, and then you can spend forever talking about it. Thank you. Thank you. So if if um, like you, I think you said, if somebody is threatening you and like shoots at you, you you have to. There's nothing you can do about that. You have to protect you have yourself. To, yeah, pro well, yeah, you have to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. the, the only way you can love a person that's shooting at you is get away from them and maybe pray for them. And whatever God is saying, this is how you love them under these conditions. As opposed to saying, I'm going to go home, I'm going to get my 44, and we're going to settle it. You know, which would be the impulse of some people is I'm gonna go get my gun and um, it's gonna be a bigger gun. There's there's a time for that too. There's a time for war, there's a time for peace. Um, but we should never take anything in our hands that hasn't been put in our hands to take it. Um, so yeah. Um, so far as the account is there to balance out when you've been wronged or we don't wrong in return uh, Romans 12 and as we talked about last week second Peter yeah we, as Christians we need to be we need to Christ gives us the capacity to be a doormat because he's put us uh, in, in a lot of situations and we're gonna as Christians we should be able to take a lot we've been put in a position where we've known he's he's taken everything um, and so that he helps us to withstand what we couldn't before um, as he sanctifies us. But let's keep going. Um, now that's how we react with one another. There's this transitional love, this, this love that evens out, um, which really isn't love, as we'll get into, but um, 
how does that work with God? So we can't have, we, we cannot have zeroed out accounts uh, with God. We can't, we'll get to that. But uh, we can't have zero accounts with God. It doesn't work like that. His grace is unmerited. We can't, it's unearnable, it's, un, it's, it's unattainable. We completely depend, we are completely dependent on it being given to him. That's why it's grace. If it was anything else, it wouldn't be grace. Um, but we have to be added to. Uh, so we can't pay it back because we could never buy it in the first place. That's why we needed a savior. He pays our bill. So we can't, um, he, the wages of sin is death. He paid that. Now we don't have to die. He gives us life. Um, so we wouldn't need a savior if we could cover our bill and Jesus makes more than us. Um, this is what separates uh, saints, the redeemed, from sinners, the unredeemed. Um, he mentions here. Um, being a recipient of such grace loosens our grips from one, our performance, uh, it, it takes it from performance to worship. Now we, um, we no longer have, it's no longer just duty, it's delight, dutiful delight. And two, uh, our grudges, we're free from, it loosens our grip on our grudges as, as this text is more so talking about um, on the surface and frees us to love beyond what we think the days in our life deserve because we've been loved far more than what we deserve. Um, and some say, look, I might just, I, just give me what I deserve. No, you don't want what you deserve. Jesus got what you deserve. That's what you deserve. You don't want that. You want mercy. And that's where the golden rule comes in. Treat others how you want to be treated. We've been far, we've been treated far better than we deserve or than we could ever wish to be treated in the cross and the things that Jesus uh, uh, promises us and accomplished for us and offers to us and gives us the hope of one day attaining. And there's three mentions of even sinners do that. It tells us um, there's no challenge in the equal accounts. Like you sacrifice nothing. And you gain nothing expecting equal treatment. Like equalized accounts, though it looks good on paper, kind of removes the possibility of greater love, love that goes above and beyond which we've received. Uh, and loving enemies is the kind of response that um, humbly shows a higher standard of being. This is what kind of marks us as, as Christians. This is how we manifest Christ to the world. This is scandalous love, and it, it shows in us. Like it's noticeable, the same as you know, any candle is noticeable in a dark room. And we supposed we stick out. And we're supposed to. Jesus said, you know, Jesus said he's the light of the world, and he calls the church the light of the world. Uh, we're the light because who lives in us? The gospel is that is Christ in us. So the lighthouses you can think of. You know, we're not the source of our light. The moon, for a second grade example. <laughs> yeah. The moon is not the source of his light, of its light, neither are we. Uh, and another thing, uh, it doesn't, this, uh, this equal account doesn't challenge us with anything, and it sacrifices nothing. And we'll see this more when we get to the Good Samaritan. But we see this namely in the cross. Love sacrifices. And we're called to live differently because of our Lord. We should be looked at by the world and get the same kind of reactions Christ did. Obeying Christ is how we bring the kingdom light. 
is how we bring kingdom light into a dark domain. Remember last week we talked about domains? Um, there's God's domain that he created and gave it all to us. Satan and man broke it. Jesus comes to reclaim it. Two domains have been transferred out of one and into the other from Christ. And Christ can command our love go further than obvious and easy options because he's embraced the rebels. We were not easy to love. And it was very inconvenient for him to love us. Love is gladly inconvenienced. And Jesus doesn't backtrack his saving transaction. We, we kind of remove our affections from people when uh, and some we withhold when we're wrong and we step away and we're quiet and we shun Jesus doesn't backtrack his you might feel his presence uh, step back a little bit at a time you'll wonder where God is the psalmist would ask this question and some of the schizophrenic psalms if you're ever reading the psalms and it's like oh I love you, you never leave me you're always there for me where are you? You know? But I tell you, love, but love your enemies. So what constitutes an enemy? It's not someone we don't particularly dislike. That doesn't make them an enemy. Um, but it's one who's opposed to you. Or you could be an enemy that you're opposed to. Um, loving your enemy means, for that reason, loving someone who doesn't love you. And the gospel teaches and does. Um, it takes our road closed sign out of the gospel takes the road closed sign out of our love and off the road. Christians aren't called to take a detour or to go around problems but to fix problems. Um, with our foreman's help on the road. It helps our love, our, our road closed signs be removed and the way is fixed and open. That's what the gospel does with us within our relationship with the Lord and that's how we need to be with people. See, we address damages all because of Christ's example and command. Like unresolved conflicts are road closed sign. And there's nothing between us and the Lord um, and when there is, he gives us repentance and confession, and he takes it out of the way, 1 John 1.10. Um, he's faithful to, to fix that thing in the road once we confess it and bring it to him. Um, all repentant sin is, 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 is removed. He's faithful to remove it all when we discard it and look to him. Now we love, we respond, we address indiscretion, not just, there, there's some qualifications, um, but now with an open road. Like there's so much about healthy boundaries these times. Um, and sometimes we, and it's really popular today, I see it, um, just in people I know as well. Um, under the guise of a healthy boundary is just us kind of wanting to remain as we are at times. 
it's very popular in psychology, but we're, we'd be wise to consider rather we just say and approve of healthy boundaries so as to remain as we are, stubborn and hard-hearted, under the guise of the appearance, the pretense of a healthy boundary that we've deployed oftentimes just resides grudge. And the holder of it just acts like everything's okay. But internally, you've wronged me. And that's what an actor is. And so that's why Christ in the next text, he's going to say, hypocrite. The command is the act has to go. Like, he wants an authentic love, not just the appearance of love. We can fake it. And sometimes, maybe that's even like something that we should do. Even when we feel wronged in the moment, we know we need to kind of, I know how I need to react right now, but I'm kind of hot up here. Uh, and so maybe faking it for the sake of the relationship until you can kind of calm down isn't such a bad thing to do. But eventually it's the act like has to go. It's into it until your head catches up with it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know I need to respond in this way, even though internally I... Everything in me is. It's just one of the things you're supposed to do, self-control. Yeah, that's self, that, yeah, that, that self-control being deployed in you. That's a fruit of the spirit. That's God, hold me back. And that's God <laughs> in that moment holding us back. So the command is that the act has to go, and the invitation in the command is the act gets to go. Some of us, and I just include myself, times, probably uh, more times than I want to admit, to be honest, uh, are in a tireless quest to feel good about ourselves. And we gather people around us and form a group. And we inform them how they should treat us. Essentially putting them on eggshells and if not to transgress us. And the message of the Bible is that the self has to go. Christ has come, and the old self gets to go, and you want it to go. If you're in Christ, you don't want it to go if you're not, because you're holding on to it. That's why we're so hesitant with Christ. But the, the old self goes, and so in comes this ability to, to live this, this teaching. Because all evidence says that we make terrible gods. Like, I'm 32 years old, I have that many years experience to back backed up that I'm a terrible God and need him and I need this counter love that comes in because what are we if like if Jesus puts this in the message like in this in the sermon on the plane like there's no fluff in the Bible none of it he's not just adding this in and hoping or and getting to one thing or another this is very intentional that this is here and like it's, it's it, there's a reason this is here and maybe something else isn't that he's teaching this people um, Luke, I heard Luke, Rich, on that point, Luke is um, in, in, at the end of uh, chapter 8, uh, going into 9, where you have that journey to, to, from Galilee down to um, uh, Judea to Jerusalem. Um, as they begin that journey together, he, he, makes the, he tells the disciples, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross follow me. It's a key phrase at a key moment 
understand what is getting ready to happen. Yeah. And, then, and then you have that travel narrative that we're going to explore, which I'm kind of excited about, mm -hmm. where he has all these encounters along, on, along the way to going to get crucified, you know. And he makes sure that his disciples are aware that they've got to leave their old self behind and they have to take on the transformed self yeah. of who they're being remade into as Jesus is remaking them. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that I think is pretty, like that's one of the cool things about the story. And he'll say it again on the other end of the journey to Jerusalem to yeah. those guys, just reminding them, can't let yourself get in the way, but let your new self come out. Yep, yep. Um, and it's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> We're always getting in our own way. We're always getting in our own way. Yes. Yeah. Say a lot about that, but we'll keep going. Um, well, actually, that's my next sentence. <laughs> uh, no one reasons or seduces us like back into the world or back into ourselves like we do. Let's look to Christ, the all-satisfying one. <coughs> the all-satisfying one. And get off the treadmill or keep fruit, fruitlessly exhausting ourselves in the same fruitless patterns of um, dead-end attempts for self-fulfillment. He came that we have life and have it in abundance. And he, he's saying to those who love their life will lose it. To those who lose their life to hate their life for me, you'll find it. When we forgo ourselves, so if you're miserable, quit looking at self. You know, put the mirror down and look on. You can see farther out of a window than you can in the mirror. And don't look to self and other things uh, for what only he provides. For what only he can provide. All evidence of however old you are, that many years of evidence should tell, uh, you have that many years of evidence behind you to tell us to tell you that you know we, we make terrible gods and um, I, we cannot satisfy self. He's the only thing that's ultimately and in the now satisfying. And do good, he continues saying, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. So there's this passage is becoming one of my favorite passages. It's Micah 7, um, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Like the Bible is what gets to say who God is. God is not who we think he is, who he says he is. He's, he's not our interpretations of him. He's his statements of himself. So this is, this is who God is. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnants of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Like, that's the heart of God. Um, recommend the book Gentle and Lowly to You by Dane Orphans. Amazing. Like, the heart of God is steadfast love to his people. It is not a grudge-holding heart. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Like that's what God does with them. Off his foot and away. On the doormats of Christ crucified. You will cast, and he says the same thing twice. You will cast all our sins 
into the depths of the sea. I love that it says the depths because that's where no one goes. That's where nothing can live. That's where our sin goes. That's what he does with us. That's what we do when we forgive. The gospel shows us Jesus advancing his enemies, healing, forgiven, walking with, inviting, conversing with, abiding with, listening to, serving, dying for, and living for them. The gospel not only takes the road close sign out of the road, but it widens our ability to love. It widens the road. And we want a community like that. Like, if you hear that, don't you want to be a part of something like that? Don't you want your home to be like that? No? <laughs> not when I'm angry. Um, see, I don't even know if I... Like how Christ commands us to love our enemies. I don't even know if I could say I love my friends or family like that, to that caliber. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, before those who are against you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you, and the one who strikes you on the cheek. Offer the other also, from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, then do not demand them back. Like, I was thinking about this, like, do I even love my own wife or, like, God's church? Do any of you like this? Very sobering, loaded question to ask yourself. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so because of our relationship with Christ, we have no excuse for remaining indifferent to anyone, nor treating a loved one like an enemy. The reconciled reconcile. It's like there's no unresolved conflict between us and God. You've been, we've been forgiven fully, freely, forever. We're going to be imperfect at mirroring that. But we'd also strive, we should also strive, knowing that we're going to fail, to do that. Like there's this new caliber of love that we can love with. This new height, like the ceiling's been raised. Jesus promises, let me talk, start talking about rewards here. Jesus promises our hope. That reward will be great for the losses suffered of practicing this type of love. So this kind of love, it's not always going to go the way we want. Just because we love our enemy doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like, oh, okay, we're cool. Hugs. You know, Jesus didn't give that kind of response every time. But all of mirroring this kind of love, walking with it even still, no matter what it means for us, is how we know First John, largely, is what the whole book, you could say, is about. This is how we know we're his, sons of the Most High. It's what we are, and so it's what we need to be. Saints have Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're wearing him. And we can see that in Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, this is what we are. He's talking to people who are his people. 
as God's chosen one. For Like, I have a jacket that doesn't mean I'm wearing it. Um, we are Christ. We need to put him on. Jesus says we need to do that daily. If we've been walking for him for a lot of days, that means we, we've come to the understanding, some of us, that we need to do this moment by moment. It's intentional. It's a intentional remembering and living by faith. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Put these things on. These are clothes we wear. Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love. Love, by the way, is the first spirit of the fruit mentioned in Galatians 5. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Richard kind of reminds me when you were had talked about that that that's the perfect that's the perfect world of everyone loving each other like that. But when someone does something against you or disobeys, just like it goes back to the Garden of Eden, you know that was a perfect world. Mm-hmm. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed, there was consequences. Yeah. You know, if they fell from that perfect world, like we do. And so I feel like as Christians and as them, they, they still follow God. Um, but, and we do too. And when we sin against, you know, have transgressions against each other and do things, there is consequence. Mm-hmm. You, there may be a divorce, there might be a loss of closeness of friendships, yeah. all kinds of stuff. There usually is, even though you still love the person and don't hate them, mm-hmm. there it's something suffered in that covenant, yeah. that bond together. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is talking to us as individuals, so insofar as it counts on you, you're to love this way, you can do nothing about how the other person responds to it or, or, or what they do with it. Um, but this is the way that we operate in the midst of an enemy or a, a conflict. Um, if I heard you right, um, I mean, you, you, you went to the garden. Well, there was consequences. And, he, and, and, and what will be, they did receive mercy. Because he said you would die. And eventually, they did die. But not before he showed them mercy and operated, you know, out of the gate in the beginning of the Bible. Out of the, after sin has fallen, he still endures. But just like Jesus dying on the cross, we knew it was coming, they knew it was coming, but we only had three, really, years with him. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the amount of more we could have received? John says that too. I said, yeah. he says at the end of his gospel, of the things that he did, like books could be written. Like there's no amount of books. Exactly. Like the library could yeah. hold all the books that could be written about all the things that Jesus did. So, but he does enough for us to be talking about it 2,000 years ago. Right. Yeah. 2,000 years later. There's not much more left. Um, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is for the un- to the ungrateful and the evil. We were those at one point. Um, I think we should all not lose sight. We should not lose the condemn. We should lose the condemnation of the fact, but not lose sight of the fact to keep us humble that we were once the enemies of God. 
and he made his this like this is common grace here. He, uh, he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil, the same as he is to us. He makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust. Um, he gives everybody like the chance to eat good food, have medical attention, enjoy a sunset, whatever it is. He gives us everybody the capacity to enjoy. All receive a level of favor, but saints never never cease to receive that favor. And we we have a joy in the one all things come from when others sadly just have joy temporally in the things that he's made. So enemy love is what's is what born again love looks like. The cross purchased love. This is cross-purchased love, love that gives pause to its recipients. Um, where there was no love before, now there is love because we see different when we see Christ and are seen and accepted by him. So that enables us to, to remember we said last week, the end of the book, which I keep going back to the cross, even though there's nothing about the cross here. Going back to the, I keep going to the end of the book because that's what helps us get through the book. See that perfect modeling. Like, Christ just doesn't obey his own teaching and live according to his standard. He's the personification of that teaching. He is it. There's no separating. And verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful, like his open-handedness should show in his children. I know I've said a lot of the same things just over and over again, but reiteration. Um, what we receive, we give. We've been given freely and abundantly, so we give freely and abundantly. Like, this is mercy. That's what love for enemies is. It's mercy. Um, and this is mercy. Enemy, like, loving your enemies is mercy. Um, so that means we withhold what's deserved abundantly. The same as we've been spared, we spare. Enemy love is mercy. God doesn't linger in conflict with his own who repent, who acknowledge the wrong and seek reconciliation. Um, and we have not received what we do deserve from the Lord. We don't just receive it as well. We don't just receive mercy. We live it and give it. Um, so the mercy we receive from the Lord should translate in all the different interactions that we have. I mean, no one is blessed just to be a container of blessing, but it should go further. It should spread out. It should bless others. It should. It, it's like God's loving gift and mercy of grace to us. Um, is an investment that spreads out that we're supposed to do something with. I think of the parable of the talents. This one, this guy had ten. This one had two, and then the last one was given one. He didn't do anything with it. It, it just never went any further than him. Or, or even the, like the unmerciful servant. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's what came to mind. You know that other part of Luke where you know he, he addresses that concretely, what you just said mm -hmm. in that in that parable. Yes. And you're like, oh yeah, right. You know, to your point a minute ago, 
you know, it's kind of like you have to keep a snapshot of your of your former self in your yeah. wallet. It doesn't. That person is gone. They, you know, they died in the baptismal waters. They've been cleansed and forgiven, and you're raised in newness of life. But I kind of keep that version of a snapshot of myself in my wallet, so to speak, mm -hmm. where I, I don't forget yeah. who I was as an enemy of God, as a person that was lost, a person that was loved, that by no stretch, it wasn't like I was giving God, you know, love back. Yeah. And yet God said, I paid for your forgiveness on the cross. Over, it's done. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. It's good to keep that snapshot in our wallet. I'm always very, yeah. I mean, I, I, I generally, I work uh, my job out of gratitude. And, that yeah, snapshot. amen. Yeah. That, that, that's, that comes within the gift of salvation that we could operate in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and we should, I like how you put that, we keep that snapshot of ourselves in our wallet. That's a place where we can, we have control of it. We don't let the old self have control of us. The old self is dead. Its hands are no longer on us, but our hands are on it. Um, and yeah, it's just so, instructive, so I never forget. Yeah. And I went on this week into the next part of the um, sermon, but we'll get there next week. So is there anything anybody would like to add or say or? I was going to say, Rich, uh, that word condemnation that's mentioned in the King James in verse 35, mm -hmm. or, or, or further, 30, 37. 37, yeah. That's a very strong word. You're condemning that person to hell. Now, Christ is the only one that can deal with the evil and everything else. And we can too, what happens is we get shocked when we see all the bad stuff that's going on. But we can't condemn the person because that's putting them in hell. Only God's the judge. And that's why he says, judge not unless you be judged. Yeah. Because we condemn a lot that we're guilty of. Yeah. And I believe that this is what that passage is saying about verse 35, at the end he says, for he is kind and the un uh, unto the unthankful and to the evil. We can't do that. Only Christ can, because you know something? I was evil. Yeah. I was unthankful. But he is the one that loved me, or he loved my, un my, my evil, or my, to, to, Romans 5 says what you're trying to say. Yeah. Even when we were still enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. And when we judge everything that's going on in the world, you yeah. know, like Republican, Democrat, and you know, whatever, it's taken us, it takes our eyes off the Lord. Yeah. That's what, that's what I took out of verse 35 yeah. and 37. And we'll get there next week. I swear, like, you're in the window or something every week. Yeah. Like, Is that well, Romans? Romans 35? Romans 5. Romans 5. It's in the first six verses somewhere. I think it, he says it twice, maybe in verse 3 and 6. Um, but yeah, that's a good place to go. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, which is, we've talked about that for a while. All right, so Father, thank you.
for the things that you put forward. I've, they're far more exciting than my tone today, and but sobering. And I know that this is harder for others uh, than it is for some. And there are situations where it makes it hard for anybody to love like this. Um, and so I just pray that you would direct our eyes to Christ to see his endurance that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Uh, and when he was given aggression and he responded with, by withholding any regression that he, aggression that he could give in return and would have been just in doing so, him the only one, because he was the only one who wasn't evil, who never was evil, who never did any evil. So he's the only one who could retaliate, yet he didn't. So where are circumstances or just these instant moments where it's so easy to just react? Pray that you would catch us there. And grant us to come to you just to say help in those moments. Remembering this word that you've spoke and enabling us on to showing our light, proving to be your disciples. And thank you that you've cleared the road and the cross for us and we can we have we can go on. We don't have to get stopped. And I pray that you would help us with any conflicts that are happening within this group of people in the church at FCC, and especially myself. You bring it to our mind and show us how to walk and take the next step um, in clearing the road so that we can be a community that throws each other's sins in the depths of the sea just as our God has thrown them in the depths of the sea and no longer remembers them. It doesn't go back to them because we've been given fully, freely, and forever. Help us to do the same. And I pray for that same forgiveness. When a little bit of that residual of the grudge or the, the wrong should show up, especially in our marriages.